0: I think this is on. I'll use the headpiece, but we have a special guest that's going to say a few things. As you all are well aware, next Sunday will be my last week here as the minister of the Waterford Church, and I will be sharing my last Sunday morning Bible class. So to take over and to finish out at least the quarter, right, and then possibly, we don't know beyond that, through May, through May is going to be Brother Mark Frost, who's going to share um, some great things. Mark was a, has been a preacher for how many years, Mark? Oh, 40, plus. 40 plus years. He was down in Trenton. Do I have that right? For many, many years. And so he's a Michigander as well. And I know he'll have a lot of great great insight and wisdom to share, and he's going to come and give you just a moment or two now, sharing what the class will be about and what direction the morning, Sunday morning Bible class will take starting two weeks from now.
1: Good morning. Uh, I've been asked to, uh, to take over this auditorium class starting in March, and uh, I'm excited about that, looking forward to that, but I'm also... Um, I'm humbled by that, and uh, I will tell you that, that I know that in this class, you are accustomed to being taught well, because I've been sitting here, and, and uh, I've experienced Carrie's classes, so I'm just a little bit nervous and anxious about that, but I want to let you know what I'll be teaching. Uh, it's a series of lessons called Learning to Forgive, and I want to suggest to you that learning to forgive is not an optional task for Christians. In fact, I would suggest that it's, uh, it's, it's necessary, it's vital, um, it's crucial for even our salvation. You remember the Lord's Prayer, which includes the phrase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? It's, that's the only phrase that afterwards Jesus then goes back and makes a comment on. After he gives that prayer, he says, for if you forgive your debtors your Father who is in heaven will forgive you. But if you do not forgive your debtors, your Father who is in heaven will not forgive you. And then later, in Matthew, uh, one of his most pointed and, and, frankly to me, one of his scariest parables highlights the, the fate of those who do not learn to forgive, and it's not a pretty sight. So I want to suggest to you that, that learning to forgive is central to how we live our Christian lives, and we're going to take... Um, about three months to go through the teachings of the Bible on how we forgive, try to answer as many questions as we can as, like, how do you know when you have forgiven? Uh, What is the ultimate uh, evidence of having forgiven another? What do you do when you can't bring yourself to feel like forgiving? And I suggest to you that forgiveness is somewhat unnatural for us. And it involves some practice in some things that we're not good at originally. So we're going to go through all of that. And and as you have questions about what it means to forgive and how do we know that we've forgiven and, and how do I get to a place of forgiveness to someone who's deeply wounded me, we'll work through all of those. And I look forward to starting that session, those classes, two weeks from today. Thank you.
0: All right. Well, that sounds like a great class. I I wish I was going to be here for it.
2: Huh?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Forgiveness. I'm glad that you're going to discuss that. I think that that has probably destroyed more people from the inside out. Unforgiveness than almost anything else. And a lot of the reason, and I know Mark will talk about this extensively, but I think a lot of the reason the Lord is so intent on this because we're told to forgive people who, frankly, don't care if we forgive them or not, and it, you know, oftentimes it'll have no impact on them whatsoever, but it will have an impact on you. Because not forgiving bitterness is is an internal cancer that grows and grows and grows and it'll eat your heart away spiritually. So, Mark, I'm excited for them. That you're going to be able to share three months. That's, a, that's an extensive study of forgiveness. That's great. All right. We are still talking about Christian evidences. We've started in. Um, we've had three lessons on the evidence of Christ's resurrection. The reason we're focusing on this so intently is because the resurrection of Jesus is the linchpin. It is the foundation of all faith. If Jesus is still in the ground, then we are the greatest fools in all the world is true paul says if jesus is not resurrected then we are all of all men most to be pitied that i mean we're pathetic if he's if we're going through all of this for somebody who doesn't have the power of life and death so it's essential and skeptics know it if jesus is resurrected from the dead then he has authority and his words have power and he has the power to keep his promises it is absolutely the linchpin of all that is So we've talked about several reasons that we can have trust in the reliability that he is indeed alive, that he has indeed been resurrected. But today we're gonna transition into the evidence from what we'll call the apostles' testimony. Now many people today adhere to the philosophy of life that says, seeing is believing. I wanna see it. And that's not uncommon, in fact, Thomas was that way, right? Thomas had to touch his hands and feet. And I think we give old Thomas a pretty rough time about that. And frankly, I think we probably give him too hard of a way to go. I mean, to be labeled forever as doubting Thomas when he had the exact same faith as all the rest of them. The other ones didn't doubt because they actually did see Jesus and touched his hands and feet. All Thomas said is, I want to see the evidence. I want to see the evidence. And our faith is based on, not proof, but evidence. So Thomas, Thomas's only really shortcoming is why wasn't he there the first time? It was an attendance issue, not a faith issue. Thomas should have been there when Jesus was there the first time. But for him to say, I want to see the evidence, when he did see the evidence, what did he do? Fell down on his knees, my Lord and my God. And he gave his life violently to serve Jesus. Thomas wasn't a doubter. Thomas just hadn't seen the evidence. So when it comes to this idea of people saying seeing is believing, well, that's, in some ways, that's a right motive, depending on what they mean by it. But but however, if they say, well, I'm not going to believe in God unless I see it, then they're holding a double standard to everything else they believe. And I believe in things I haven't seen. I haven't seen the Taj Mahal, but I know it's there. Why? Because I have, you know, believed the testimony. Anything in the world that you believe is true and real that you've not seen is based upon testimony. Someone else has seen it. And they gave you their credible report. Right? What would be some examples of things that we rely on testimony in regard to what? Man on the moon. Okay, Earth is round. Well, I don't know. Some of us have flown halfway around it, and that your wife loves you. What do you mean? You believe? Yeah. Well, I would say that one's based on testimony and fruits. She can show it. Anyone else? Things that you believe based upon testimony. There's really thousands of them. Right? If you believe any natural landmark or any city or any place is real and you haven't been there, then you're basing that upon some sort of testimony that somebody's given. And in the legal field, how important is it? What if every juror had to actually see the crime for themselves to be able to judge. Would anybody ever be convicted of anything? No. So they have to rely upon what? The testimony. And in in the court system in the United States, the highest form of evidence is eyewitness testimony. It's the highest form of evidence. I mean, it would even take precedence over Scientific evidence, right? I mean, because that, if somebody saw it and is willing to swear under oath that they saw it happen, that's the gold standard of testimony. So when we look at the fact that Jesus is resurrected, we have to ask, is there any testimony? And is it credible testimony? Are they credible witnesses? And there are ways to determine that. There are ways to determine it. So this idea of testimony is vitally, vitally important. Some would say, how can you believe in a God that you've never seen? How do you know for sure that he really lived at all? To answer these questions, we turn to the testimony. Now, Jesus knew the value of belief based upon testimony without witnesses. He he expresses this clearly in a number of places. Let's look in several places. Who'll take for me John twenty. 25 through 29. Thank you, Don. Someone else, John 17, 20. Yep, and someone else, John 20, 30 through 31. I'll take that one. Thank you, Mark. Someone, First Peter 1, 8. Courtney? Luke 1, 3 through 4. Mario? Acts 1, 1 and 2. Thank you, Mark. Acts four thirty three. Everybody's getting a verse today. John fifteen twenty seven. Thank you. Acts two thirty two. Running out of volunteers. Thank you, Doris. Um, Acts three fifteen. Thank you, Cherry. Um, Acts four nineteen through twenty. And I guess we'll just call it a day right there, and we'll see if we get that far. And if we do, we'll sign out some more. Okay, so Jesus knew the value of testimony and belief based upon that testimony. Um, John 20, 25 through
2: 29. Start with 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and, the place, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hands into the side, I, I will never believe. And eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here, and see my hands, and put your hand Put your hand and place it in my side. Do not believe, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, I'm am Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet
0: have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So here, Jesus is talking with, he, he acknowledges that Thomas saw the evidence. And he believed. You don't see any real frustration with him and Thomas, except to say, here they are. Here's my hands and here's my side, here's my feet. And you can see for yourself. But then Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and believed. But what, what is the basis upon which they'll have that belief? Thomas's experience as the original eyewitness. The apostle's testimony is given as the sole basis of our faith. John chapter 17, verse 20.
2: 17, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me
0: through their word. Uh, yes, this is where Jesus is praying right before he, that he's, he's in the garden, he's about to be arrested and all of this. And he prays, he says, Lord, my prayer is not for these alone, talking about the disciples, but for those who would believe on me through their word. That they may be one, Father, as thou art in me, and I in thee, that they may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. He says, the basis upon which the world will believe in me is through their words, the ones who see it. How important did Christ believe the testimony of those eyewitnesses was? Vitally. In fact, he based the entire belief system of faith on those apostles' eyewitness testimony then we look at John 20,
1: 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have
0: life in his name. But he did many other things in the presence of his disciples that aren't written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe. So the witnesses, this testimony that's been panned down for us was for the very purpose of building faith, building belief. Jesus believed that this eyewitness testimony is vital to belief and is is an accurate, acceptable form of evidence. So first of all, we examine the reality that our identity, we have an identity with first century men. Now we sometimes get confused about all this because so, we're so far historically removed from these events. What I find interesting is when we're talking about and I've had this discussion with folks before about miracles and about you know supernatural abilities in regard to Holy Spirit or God power and they say, "Well, you know in the in the Bible times there were all these miracles." Well, that's true. Except you've got to remember that what we have are the recorded miracles and the vast majority, 99.99999% of the people who lived over the course of that 3,000 year span, how many of them you think saw miracles? Very, very few. The vast majority of people in the world never saw that stuff. In fact, in the first century, not everybody saw miracles. They believed based upon the same thing that you've believed on, which was the testimony of another who did see it. So we're not that far removed from people in the past in regard to the basis of our faith. And that's what I've tried to express that in so many ways over the last several years is that we need to get out of thinking that somehow we live in an inferior age or we live in an inferior time. We live in a superior age and a superior time, and the Bible says that. He said, blessed are you, Thomas, because you saw it, but more blessed are those who will believe. Your faith is even more real than an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's what it says. Why? You have less to go on, right? Your faith requires more faith. Thomas's didn't require quite as much faith. Now he had to have faith, but it, it it was a little easier to develop. Why is that? Touched his hands, touched his side, talked with Jesus, spent three and a half years with him every day. You haven't. None of us have touched his side, touched his hands. We've never seen him face to face. But you still order your life based upon the words of the apostles. You've given your life over in faith. You live in the age that we have more potential to please God than anyone who's ever lived before. Have you ever thought of that? Because what God wants is faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That means that when you live in a time where there's less to see, there's faith is even more real, more powerful. That's why Jesus would say of John the Baptist, of all those born of women, there's been none born greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. There is a sense, now I'm not saying we have a more powerful faith than Abraham or David or whatever it may be, but there's a sense, the framework under which we live has the greatest potential to give God exactly what God has always wanted than it ever before. Because John the Baptist, I mean, that's pretty strong company. And he says John the Baptist is greater even than Abraham and greater even in some ways than David and then Joseph. Why is that? Because John the Baptist was a better man? No, he lived in a more important time even. He was preparing the way of the Lord, but he says he was least in the kingdom of God. That means the brother or sister in this church that has the hardest time with attendance, that's struggling with sin and falling and getting back up and repenting for the 411,000th time, the least in the kingdom of heaven who's walking in the light is in some ways even greater than John the Baptist who is greater than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and David, and all the rest. Why? Because we're of greater quality? No. Because we live under the framework of a time when everything you believe is based only on one thing. Faith. Faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. He's always wanted people who choose him. Not because they saw a miracle. That's belief. That's not faith. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. What's amazing is Zacharias, John the Baptist's father,
2: Zacharias, and Elizabeth prayed and prayed for a child, even when he sees an angel, he's
0: still there. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, sometimes in scripture, people, there are those who doubt even when they have seen God or see an angel or whatever it may be. And all of you have changed your whole lives and ordered your whole lives and you, you've never seen any of that stuff. <laughs> you all get me worked up. <laughs> What'd you say? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, blessed are the poor in spirit. I mean, the thing is, is that every time that the least in the kingdom of heaven, the person with the most struggling faith, every time he gets up, it's by faith. It's by faith. When he lives in a world that's completely against him, completely pushing you to do the wrong thing, every time you choose the right, even if you've chosen the wrong over and over and over, every time you choose the right, you honor God. Because it's only by faith. Don't ever think we live. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the saints in heaven say, wouldn't it have been awesome to live now? In the 21st century. The age of faith. Oh, they lived in the age of, you know, miracles. And they lived in the age of, of the Lord, and they lived in the age of the prophets, and all that's wonderful. But you live in the age of faith, and that's what it's all been about from the very beginning. Amen. They doubted. Mm. Amazing. I know, incredible. That's why I've said to you again and again: miracles don't produce what God wants. They don't. They had one purpose and one pur- purpose only. They do kind of get your attention, right? And they cause you to listen, but they never please the Lord. The belief, the devil believes in the Lord. He's seen him face to face. He's fought him face to face. The demons believe in the Lord. They believe. They don't have any faith. And there were crowds of people, multitudes of people that followed Jesus and believed that he was. And they maybe even believed he had power, but they did not have faith. You live in the age of faith. You don't live in a sub, we do fall into that, don't you agree? With Like we live in a substandard time. That is the devil's deceit. The Bible is clear. It is plain. We live in the age of faith. We live in the age of the kingdom, which will never be destroyed. That everything in the Bible, Abraham's entire life, was to get to you. Moses' entire life was to get to you. To get to now. The age of faith. Sister... But... Well, it was certainly the working of God. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, is we use the word miracle interchangeably for, in ways that the Bible doesn't really use the word. So I would agree. I mean, I have things in my life. I think God works in my life every single day. And uh, it was Don and I talking the other day about everything, how this has worked out, because I've been so grieved to leave here. And, but, you know, with family and things, it's just a needed thing. But I wanted it to work out here. And, and you cannot, if you were behind the scenes in our life and in, the, and in the search process of this church and trying to replace my position here and all of that, everything, you, you just can't, but through faith, the lens of faith, you just see God has been working very actively in our, Lenore and I's life and also here and with the church we're going to and all these. It's just amazing. It's so clear to see his fingerprints on everything. Now, I don't call that a miracle because a miracle defies any possibility of coincidence. Everybody get the difference? Here's the thing if I have the worst fall of my life and I don't die and I should have died, but there was even a 1% of 1% or 1% chance that I wouldn't have, then I think God probably saved me from that. That's the working of God just as powerfully, but it wouldn't be a miracle. Because the skeptic can say, the skeptic can say, well, that was just coincidence. God wants to work in ways that the skeptic can deny. Do you know why? He doesn't want the heart of a skeptic. He wants the heart of people who have faith. He doesn't want the heart of somebody who believes in him. Well, because I better, I'm going to go to hell. You know, he could get everybody to believe in him just like that. Why doesn't he? If he just wants people to believe in him and do what he tells them to do. Because he doesn't have the heart. But when you believe in faith, you see things. So God's going to work subtly through things. And I think, I see his fingerprints every day in my life. Every day. Every day. But I, I call that providence, not miracle, because... Somehow we think that providence is less God than miracle is God. No, no, no. It's more powerfully God to work behind the scenes, to work within the happenings of mankind. That is divine. It is supernatural, and it is not inferior. It is not, because when He does that, it builds faith. Miracles just cause belief. And we're not going to fall into the trap of our religious neighbors who equate belief and faith as the same thing. That's not the same thing. Everybody with faith believes, but definitely not everybody who believe have faith. That was a good comment. Thank you, Sister Jewett. That's helpful. Anybody else? It says pray Yes, it does. And sometimes the answer is not what we want. I could tell you, I prayed. I prayed, Lord, if if it'd be possible, work it out, that I could stay at Waterford for years and years and years. I prayed that prayer. And he worked out something else. But he worked it out. And that's the thing to say, but thy will be done. That's the ultimate end of of faith. Because it says, because I trust you. I've never seen you. I've never heard your voice with my ears. But based upon the testimony of Scripture, I trust you. I believe and I trust and I order my life based upon that. We live in the era where I think we'll be surprised. I think some folks feel like they're pretty weak Christians because they sin. You do realize that all those Bible characters sin too, right? (laughs) Some of them who were pretty stellar in God's mind, like the man after God's own heart who adulterers and who murders and who lies and who, I mean, sin. God knows how to deal with our sin. That's par for the course. If we're repentant and if we're walking in the light and all of these things. What he wants is our heart. What he wants is faith. And I think we'll be surprised when we get to heaven. We think, oh, we, I can't wait to meet Peter. He meet Moses. Did you ever think maybe they can't wait to meet some of us? Jerry Tallman? There might be a line, a receiving line. Because that was a great man of faith. And it wouldn't it be weird, Moses saying, man, i got to meet that Gary Thomas. He did all of that, and he didn't see a, the water started. He didn't see the plagues. I pray for things that I am so thankful that I didn't. Get, I know. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. You ever heard that song? Yeah. That is a beautiful song. We should take the music out and sing it in church. Mm. The only thing theologically a little bit off is they're not really unanswered prayers. They're just not answered in the way that we... And as she walked away, I looked in my wife, And then and there I thanked the good Lord for the gifts in my life. How many times can we just trust Him just trust. All right, that was a rabbit, and it was a long one, but we chased it. Yes? Together for the good of those who love him. And you know, people, sometimes we look at things. I think I'm a destiny person. I think God has a destiny, and he, in our lives, he has. But God can work with the future, because God, here's the thing. God is adaptable, like, We can't even fathom because that doesn't say that everything that happens is what God willed. It says that everything that happens, that God can work it out if we work with him. That means if the worst thing in your life happened, that doesn't mean God wanted that to happen. It doesn't mean he intended it or planned it. But it means if you turn your heart back to him and you trust him in faith, he can still make it good. That's what it means. God's adaptable. Right. A lot of times we don't want to take that step. But the reason we don't want to is because we're really not trusting that God can take care of that. Correct. Good, good thought. All right. Anybody else? Yes, Gordon. It's amazing to me. I mean, some of those folks in scripture, you're just like, how on earth could you be so dumb? I mean, and that's the right word for it, dumb. It's like, you got all the, you don't have evidence, you have proof. But see, proof produces belief, but belief is not, doesn't really last when it needs to. Faith though, faith. Faith has power. All right, so, the identity with the first men, although we had certainly been, they'd been with, some had certainly been with Christ, the vast majority of first century believers had not. They had not seen him. They'd not had the same experience. They'd had, in some ways, the same experience we have, and that they never saw Christ in person. Therefore, their belief was the basis, was, had its basis in the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. First 1 Peter 1 1.8. Though you have not seen him,
1: you love him. Though you do not see him, you do not now see him. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and
0: filled with glory. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you have not seen him, you believe in Him. You see, Peter is is complimenting that profound faith. Luke chapter one, three through four. I'm going to write this account so that you may know the certainty based upon these witnesses, this testimony. And then, of course, Acts chapter 1, 1 and 2. He said, I gave that to you so you would believe, but now he's writing this book so that he would also build belief in the church and the beginnings of the church and all that took place. So the same basis belief of belief we have is the same basis of belief. The vast, vast, vast majority of Christians have relied upon even back to the first century. It's the same basis so we have an identity with the first-century men and women, and then there's this idea of witnessing that's brought out. Uh, Acts four thirty-three. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They continued that testimony. The apostle's purpose was to bear witness, John fifteen twenty seven. You, you, you will bear witness to Jesus, to everything he did, and then, of course, to his resurrection. And the purpose of bearing witness is to give testimony in behalf of something as confirmation of its truthfulness. Confirmation of its truthfulness. So that's exactly what we, when someone puts their hand on a Bible and swears to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, they're relying upon their credible testimony of what they saw. Of what they saw. This means that they have, that they gave a complete and objective testimony about that which they saw with their own eyes. Acts chapter 2.32. Acts 2.32. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Acts 3.15. Okay. Okay. of which we are witnesses we saw it and then acts 4:19 through 20 if Peter and John replied which is right
1: in God's eyes to listen to you or to him you be the judges as for us we cannot help but speaking about what we have seen and
0: heard we have not help but speaking about what we have seen and heard and to me the apostles testimony is now we're going to get to it next week. We're going to talk about Saul's conversion and that evidence of Christ's resurrection, which to me is the greatest evidence. What would change? What would have before he was killed, if he was killed? Conspiracy theory? No, I'm kidding. But Osama bin Laden, what could have changed him? Nothing. You don't change a zealot. Why did God choose Saul of Tarsus? Because he was Osama bin Laden. Of his time, zealot, a zealot who in the course of three days changes his entire life course. And then the very thing, his entire impassioned, every fiber of his being sought to destroy zealously, devote his whole life to it. Now he devotes his entire life to supporting it. We'll talk about that more next time. I think that's the greatest evidence of the resurrection. But I think the second greatest evidence is the fact that these men, these 11 men who were with Jesus all along and saw him resurrected, 12 once they added Matthias, 11 of the 12 did not recant even though they were, 11 of them were murdered for it. I am sorry, but if you hide the body and make up a religion, there's one point at which you will not go to protect that religion if you made it up. You know what it is? You're standing on the gallows and there's a noose around your neck. And that's what's interesting is several of them were given the option to recant or not lose their life. But what causes 11 men who aren't together, who aren't strategizing, they're in all four corners of the earth, some in India, what's today India, some in Ethiopia, some in Greece, some in Rome, some in Jerusalem, all over the world in separate occasions. They, 11, all 11 of them give their, and the only reason John didn't is Jesus had said, you know, kind of predicted that he would live and he outlived to old age, but he would have given his life too. What causes men to do that? Because they knew it was true. They'd seen it, they'd heard it. There is no more credible eyewitness testimony than he who will give his life to testify that what he saw and heard was true. And all of them did. Not one recanted. Not one. Very, very unpleasantly.
2: Very unpleasantly.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fox's Book of Martyrs, is, is, it's, it's terrible to read, isn't it? It's just like 400 pages of reading about people dying in the most gruesome way possible, but it is powerfully faith-building, although it's gruesome because, I mean, for years and years and years, soldiers of the cross have conquered the world with their own blood. Because of the blood of Jesus. And most, the vast majority, did it based upon faith on the testimony, not for what they had personally seen it. Faith. All right. We have gotten through the scriptures I assigned, and that's good because the second foghorn is about to sound. Any last comments, thoughts? One more next week I love y'all